Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome to Drop Pass Podcast. As you noticed, we got some big news to announce since this week. This show became part of the Hockey Podcast Network family, which covers all 32 NHL teams plus much, much more. So if you feel like your NHL urges are not met each week, Go check out the offerings by using the link in the description to find out what kind of podcast gems you can find from their platforms. But it doesn't end there since from this point on, the show is also going to be sponsored by DraftKings and Raycon. So if you are a gambling man slash woman or want to get your hands on some quality headphones or speakers with low prices, Use the links in the description to get your discounts by using the code THPN. But as I promised last week, now that we passed the 1K download mark, it is time to answer some of your questions. So once we've dealt with all the newest NHL headlines, we will dive straight into the deep end and see what were the hottest topics that you wanted my answer to. And before we jump to the action, I also gotta let you know that in the coming weeks we are going to have another exciting bunch of guests appear on this show. So remember to press the follow button and put those notifications on. But with that said, we are finally ready to step on the gas pedal and let the intro music roll. So without further ado, let's get going. And you already know that we are going to start the episode by going over the main NHL headlines from the past week. But once those have been covered, we will move on to your questions. So hold on just for a moment. And then we will get into the nitty gritty of this week's episode. First of all, we gotta talk about the newest blockbuster between the St. Louis Blues and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Featuring Ryan O'Reilly, which also included the Minnesota Wild, as they retained 25% of his salary and was rewarded with a 2025 fourth-round pick for that gesture. But the main participants, like I said, were the Blues, who ended up acquiring forward prospect Mihal Abramov, a former fourth-round pick by the Leafs, and forward Adam Gaudet, who they signed during last year's offseason, in addition to Ottawa's 2023 third Toronto's 2023 first and 2024 second rounders. Leafs, on the other hand, got their hands on another center in Ryan O'Reilly and a bottom six forward, Nola Chari. And with that, the Leafs end up becoming one of the league's strongest teams at center on paper, while adding to their bottom six, as we assumed in our previous deadline preview episode. Overall, this is a very interesting trade to me in a sense that The Leafs already have their top two centers in place in Matthews and Tavares. So does this mean that one of the guys ends up playing on the wing or could O'Reilly, who is having a down year, find himself from their third line once the lines have been settled? The Blues ended up losing some value in this deal given O'Reilly's subpar performances this year. But unlike in the Tarasenko trade, they ended up receiving more valuable assets, which could be eventually utilized on the draft table once we've crowned the newest NHL champion. And although the picks they got most likely are going to be lower ones, I was somewhat surprised to see that the Leafs were willing to give them the first rounder when you look at O'Reilly's numbers from this year and how his game has declined from past few seasons. So on a large scale, this was a better haul for them in my mind than what they got in the Tarasenko trade. So... Hopefully, they end up using those assets wisely and start to figure out their plan for the future since now that two of their former core members have been dealt out, the rumors surrounding Colton Pareko have already started to emerge and if he ends up leaving St. Louis this deadline, the outlook would change quite drastically and we could be looking at a very different blue sponge once the next season rolls around. But more than anything, I'm looking forward to seeing O'Reilly's impact in Toronto since undoubtedly he will bring some much-needed playoff experience to the locker room. But his legs have slowed down from years past, and knowing that the Leafs heavily rely on speed and pace with their game, it will be interesting to see, first of all, 
in what kind of role he will be placed in that equation and second of all how big of an impact he's going to be able to make in this speedy lineup. I don't expect that the Leafs are completely done with all of their moves despite the fact that they don't have that much room to maneuver cap-wise but there are a few names that could be shipped out in order to make space so we could see one more move from Toronto before the deadline clock actually runs out. But overall, a wise decision from the Blues to let go of O'Reilly because his value was dropping quite quickly. And for the Leafs, this opens up another chapter on their playbook, so I'm quite intrigued to see what the final outcome ends up being. Or if they just once again ended up giving away assets in hopes of reaching the second round in the playoffs. And after that, we are going to go on and tackle the contract front. Because we've seen another bunch of extensions being handed last week. Highlighted by Olli Matta, Mikey Anderson, Phoenix Copley, Jos Moura, Jordan Harris and Connor Timmins. Matta was signed to a two-year, three-million extension by the Red Wings. And like I mentioned in my IG post, he has been one of the more underrated offseason signings thus far. And in my opinion, is very deserving to stay in the Motown for the next two years as they try to renovate their core for future greatness. Like, although the plus-minus column to some is a flaw statistic, in my opinion it tells at least something about each player's tendencies, especially when compared to his play style. And when you notice that the guy has had only two seasons ending in a minus, you gotta write some notes down. When you see that he has played for teams such as Chicago, LA and Detroit, who haven't been the absolute top teams in the league for a few years now. And yes, I know that there have been few injuries in the mix as well, but still, that is a remarkable feat. And from this point on, I gotta give him more credit than what I've been thus far. And you know, I've always respected his game in a sense that he does all the small things on the ice well, at least most times, and especially takes care of the garbage duty at the back end, so... As I've said previously, since I was also a that type of a player, I can respect these kinds of guys, although they wouldn't be on the score sheet each night, and just lurk in the shadows while reporting for duty without questioning. So to me, a much better signing than the one they made last summer by the name of Ben Sherrod, and I think that he will be a valuable piece for their youngish blue line as they start to bring in names Wallinder, Edvinson and Johansson from their pipeline. Mike Anderson, on the other hand, earned his big boy check last week as the Kings signed him to an 8-year, 4.125 million contract. And this way solidified the left side of their blue line because they don't have as many big time names coming up from that side. So in my opinion, this was a great investment from their GM Rob Blake. Because Anderson very much represents the same caliber as Matta, where he gives his all each night on their blue line and doesn't light up the score sheet on fire, but rather focuses on being extremely sound defensively. So great deal in my books, which even has some potential to become a steal in few years once time passes by, just like with the ones we've talked about previously. And while we're speaking of the Kings, I might as well add in Phoenix Copley's extension since third this year's blue paint shooting star earned a one-year extension carrying a 1.5 million AAV for his performances. And I'm not going to judge this deal quite yet since the situation regarding Cal Peterson is still wide open. And I think that Rob Blake is fiercely calling the bottom feeders to take on his cap, but we'll see if any team is willing to take that risk. And if they just will be forced to let go some of their assets to get rid of his contract. But if he ends up carrying his level to next year and ends up performing at his current level, we could be looking at a similar situation to Washington where a former AHL tended Charlie Lindgren has proved his NHL value, but that's still a long ways away and the main concern still stays between Quick and Peterson, so we'll see what cars they have in hand before the clock turns towards the postseason. Before these guys though, the Panthers signed up their offseason acquisition Jos Mahura to one more year with 925k AAV, and given the current state of their blue line, this was a decent signing for the franchise who without a doubt would like to amp up their blue line during the offseason if they don't end up making changes already during this year's deadline. And by decent I mean that he has completed his duties on their second slash third pairing with decent results. 
And I don't think that the Cats management expected to see huge numbers from him before the signing. So for a puck-moving bottom-pairing defenseman, this price wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And after all, every year teams are looking to add these type of guys to their back line. So in this case, the Panthers just ended up making plays before he runs out to free agency. So not a major signing by any means, but good for both parties, I would assume. The Habs also continued to sign their top prospects as next up was Jordan Harris's turn to bolster his paycheck and by a quite large margin may I say since he was signed to a two-year contract carrying a 1.4 million AAV just last week. And although not that many people see him as a difference-making blue liner on the NHL level, in my eyes he's slowly growing into a very reliable top six option who is going to have a lengthy stay in the bright lights alongside his young teammates. Chekai and Guli. So at this point, I think they made a wise decision by signing him to a short bridge deal, and I would believe that after the next two years, he could be looking at similar numbers to Mike Anderson. So a long-term three to four million deal could be the next step when it comes to his retirement fund from the NHL. But all in all, I was a little surprised to see the price tag on his contract, but knowing that the Habs have few dollars to spare. I guess they wanted to get closer to the future cap ceiling and this way we're willing to give few more bucks than what many franchises would have at this stage of his NHL career. And lastly, we have Connor Timmins who signed his extension as I was prepping our last week's episode, but the fact still is that the Maple Leafs ended up signing him to a two-year 1.1 million deal and deservedly so because he has amazed most Leafs fans this year with his play and without a doubt brings some excitement to otherwise windy blue line. The former second round pick got dealt to the Leafs at the end of last year from Arizona and ever since that day has left every doubter biting the dust, me included by putting up 13 dots on the board from 19 games. And with that has brought a totally new element to their blue and white blue line. And despite the fact that he still needs to prove his worth long-term, GM Dubas was willing to continue this romance by two years. And if he keeps his level from this year and ends up being a crucial part of the team on the postseason, that total is going to jump quite drastically when it's time to renegotiate his next salary in 2025. But until then, we will remain on watch to see if his body can withhold this pace and if the Leafs end up gaining as much as they have through his first 19 games. So a very low-risk, high-reward deal would be the description on any NHL's GM's black book. On the trade front, we haven't seen anything else than rumors on top of the O'Reilly trade, and still the big names Meyer, Kane, Chikrin and Gavrikov have stayed on top of the headlines. But after the Rangers acquired Tarasenko to their top six, the shuffle around Patrick Kane has calmed down due to his somewhat questionable take. So now that his long-term partner Jonathan Taves has told media that he has no major desire to leave the town at this point, it has led to us asking if Kane is leaving either after all. And at this point, it is almost common knowledge that Kane was willing to go to Big Apple if the opportunity would have presented itself, but... Now that the Rangers aren't most likely after him anymore, the destinations have narrowed down quite a bit and the big rumors at this point just start to seem forced to me, if I'm completely honest. Especially now that he brought up the fact that he's been playing through a hip injury the past three years, so I would think that that fact alone is going to scare away some teams in addition to his massive cap hit. Toronto, Vegas, and Dallas have been the top names on the board, but until we start to hear some real talk, I don't buy those talks, and that is exactly why I'm most likely going to be flabbergasted once the official trade gets announced. But we will wait to see what his future will look like since the game still seems to be wide open on his part, and as teams start to make their moves, the probabilities will start to fall even more so. We will just have to wait for a statement concerning the future of his career with the Blackhawks. Meyer is still heavily linked to the Devils, and most recent rumors have led to Toronto, but with the O'Reilly trade, I think that those rumors have been buried at this point. Meanwhile, earlier last week, we almost thought that the Kings were going to end up being the team to land Jacob Chikrin, but later that same day, we learned that the Yotes' asking price would have included top prospect Brent Clark, and since the Kings were not willing to part ways with their number one DN prospect, 
the deal fell apart and now your guess is as good as mine when it comes to his final destination because it's earned that he is going to leave Arizona before the deadline closes. He as well as Kavrikov have already been pulled from the active roster to ensure that they don't get hurt before they've been shipped off so those guys seem to be the obvious two that are going to depart from their current states but what their destinations end up being is an intriguing question in which I want an answer to as soon as possible. Also Edmonton seems to be out of the chicken race since they've already laid their eyes on EK65 which seems extremely wacky to start with but given the Oilers past with their paychecks I'm not that surprised to see them involved in these talks after all. You gotta remember that they are still paying Darnell Nurse 9 million per season so if they can get Carlson with a small discount why wouldn't they go after him since who really cares about defense anyways. So despite me saying that there wouldn't be a team stupid enough to even consider trading for him in fact if the Sharks get all that they want meaning three first round picks or at least equivalents why wouldn't they ship him elsewhere because you are not in a situation to win any more than a round of bingo at the local nursing home. So it is really starting to seem like that the Oilers are really going to go at it given the fact that their 5 million goaltender already can't stop his eyes from moving and he's chewing his nails off on their bench so you know at that point I would also start to look outside of the box for answers and therefore once you see Carlson heading to all country, understand that this was an elite strategical move by their GM, Ken Holland. After all, they've continued to bang their head against the same wall year after year with same results, so why just not stop it and change the wall which is eventually going to break down your entire skull. And if you don't understand sarcasm, this part will blow by you faster than a straight guy coming out of the obsession in Thailand. And if you don't know what that place is, google it. It's a nightclub in Bangkok. And do this at your own will. Don't ask me how I know. But yes, actually the talks between the Oils and the Sharks have really ramped up recently so it will be interesting to see if this move actually ends up materializing and even if it doesn't, it certainly will create some talks surrounding the NHL which is good so no complaints from here whatsoever. In other news, Dustin Brown had himself a special night as his number 23 was raised to the rafters of Crypto.com Arena in addition to him getting his own statue that same night. And he's undoubtedly been one of their most influential players of the past two decades because after all, he led their team to two Stanley Cups back in 2012 and 2014 and paved the way for their next generation players by playing his entire career in the Kings uniform. Over 1300 NHL games played, playoffs included, two cups, one Mark Messier leadership award and one Olympic silver from the 2010 Olympics in my mind justifies these honors and truly tells you how big of a leader he was during his long NHL career. So big congrats to Brown from my behalf as well and hopefully he can get his teeth fixed now that he no longer has to prove his NHL player status. Later that week we also got some bad news as we learned that Alex Nerovechkin's father had passed away at 71 years of age and therefore Ovi will be out of the Caps lineup indefinitely until he returns back from Russia so condolences to the entire Ovechkin family. And the last two headlines I want to mention concern the Saints goaltender Kevin Mandelis and the Nashville Predators since first just a couple days ago the young Senators netminder made 46 saves in his NHL debut which became the second highest total in the entire history so that pretty much tells you that their blue paint should be in good hands since now they got three very promising netminders in their system in Mandelis, at Showguard and Levi Merilainen. Will any of these guys become an actual NHL starter is still in doubt but the signs are extremely promising which even stronger suggests that the Sens are bound to break this curse just like the Sabres have started to do already this year. And lastly when it comes to the Preds few nights ago at least one of their fans realized that their playoff hopes were done and chucked a catfish onto the ice mid game and although I like to see those ugly creatures being thrown onto the ice every now and again 
I wouldn't wish to see it happen during the play, so few towels should be thrown at his way, regardless of his frustration. But like I said, the Preds seem to be the next team out of the playoff race, and it's looking like a perfect time to do so. Since there's still a couple weeks till the deadline closes, and they certainly have assets that they could throw away if GM Poyle finally decides to pull the plug on his team. Since mediocrity can only hold for so long, and when that even isn't enough, you see exactly where Lee's do so. Now his hand could be forced if their higher-ups don't see another way out of this current situation. We all know how Paul has been able to avoid the rebuild for many years now, but seemingly the time has caught up with the franchise and they are staring at the barrel of a rebuild, which would also mean that his job would be in jeopardy, and despite his great work behind their big desk, I think it would be time to focus on the future and turn on the next chapter of their somewhat young NHL story. But that could be easier said than done since currently they have terrific players on their lineup. Likes of Roman Yossi, Jose Saros, Philip Forsberg and a few others, but just like the Blackhawks, sometimes you have to make the tough decisions and face the fact that the current input isn't enough. And after all, those guys hold massive values, so... Their departures could lead to something extremely exciting in the long run. Just look at the upcoming draft classes, franchise-level talents across the board. Maybe a bit over-jealous, but you get my point. So all I want to say is focus on this team because they might be on the edge when it comes to the team's future outlook and what they are going to do next will certainly affect the trade deadline outlook as well, so... That could lead to even bigger headlines before the clock hits zero. But that will be all for this week's NHL coverage. And next, we will move on to all your questions. So if you send me one, just deep put and don't exit the show. Because you most certainly will hear my take on every question that you've asked throughout this week. And of course, I gotta thank you for all your questions. Because without them, this episode wouldn't have happened. So big thanks to all of you who participated, and let me know if you want something similar in the future as well. But before we jump to your questions, we have to hear a few words from our sponsors. But after that, we will get right into your burning questions, so hold on just for a moment. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. So go download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. This time of the year, everyone's talking about making big changes, which is all well and good, but most of the time, pretty unrealistic. You know, things like going to the gym consistently and trying to get rid of junk food, but most of us know that those promises tend to fall on their faces sooner rather than later in the long run. But I've actually found that the smallest changes to your routines can make the biggest impact. In the same way, you don't have to break the bank to make a big deal purchase. Even the smallest things can be a part of a big change, if it's something you actually use every day. Just like my Raycon earbuds. Raycon is a premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can build great habits without breaking the bank. Whether you're looking for a pair of everyday earbuds, low-latency gaming headphones, or a speaker with a battery that will last all night at your next party, Raycon's got you covered. And yeah, Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands. So you don't even have to choose between products, you can get one of each, or a pair, or a spare. And still pay less than you would with some of the other guys. 
And for example, I have multiple. I use their earbuds pretty much every day since they are so comfortable and easy to use that it doesn't matter if I'm at the gym or doing some chores. The sound quality is always premium, while my other headset is reserved for my gaming setup, which enables me to hear all the small audio cues and footsteps when I rely on my hearing the most. And even if you know you love the Raycons as much as I do, Raycon wants to make sure you feel great about your purchase. They offer buy now and pay later options, and every purchase has an easy and free return guarantee. So if you're ready to buy something small with a big impact, go to buyraycon.com thpn today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com thpn to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com thpn And there we have our first official ads, but now it's time to face the heat and we will begin with the easy ones. And the first honors will go to a person who asked me, who is my favorite defenseman in the NHL and exactly why? And if I would have taken the easy route, the obvious choice would have been Kale McCarr because the guy is an absolute beast. And it is just mesmerizing to watch him skate and handle the puck the way he does. Plus the way he just took over last year only increased my fandom even more. But since I don't want to be that obvious, I'm going to go with not so obvious choice and say Boston's Charlie McAvoy. He's just an all-around great defenseman who can carry the puck up the ice, put up points and crush guys with body checks. So to me, he's still ridiculously underrated player and people should pay more attention to his game. He's a future Norris winner, I can guarantee you that. And although he isn't the top blue line producer in the NHL, he has one of the best defensive games in the entire league. And probably that is also one aspect why I love his game so much. Miro Heiskanen is also right on his heels, but currently McAvoy would be my pick if I had to choose one other than the obvious choice, Kale McCarr. Next one is Nokko or Red Bull, aka the energy drinks. And first of all, thanks for a very thoughtful question. And second of all, here I gotta go with Nokko because I've been their supporter for many years now. And they even were kind enough to support me at one point. So big thanks to them for doing so. And if any of your representatives are listening right now, just send me a DM and we'll fix up a partnership because I'm at least all for it. So Nokko is going to be my pick between these two. The next person asked me, what is my favorite hockey brand? And since I've pretty much rocked with Bauer all the way from Pee Wee, I gotta go with them despite the fact that I've had some sticks from CCM and Warrior on the way. If you know, you know. But nothing has come close to beating Bauer thus far, even though I really like some of the Warrior sticks. But I'm just more accustomed to Supremes, Vapors and Nexuses, so therefore Bauer will be my pick for this question. Then someone asked me in Finglish, Anchor Rally or Topic, and as a former defenseman, I can say with certainty that both of these came very familiar to me, given my precious pivots, but I would say that toe picking over the heightened blue line is the way to go, because you just don't want to be swimming backstroke with your ankles backwards at any point, especially on the offensive blue line, so I guess at least some of you who have played can relate to this, and we'll just move on to the next question. The next person is asking me what was my favorite arena to play in during my active days. And in addition to my beloved home arena, Nirlan Montu, I have to give two answers here since they are my favorites for two different reasons. And those are Hakametsa in Tampere, the one where Ilves and Tappara used to play before moving to Nokia Arena. And of course, Helsinki Ice Hall, aka Nurdis. And even more specifically, the underground training arena. Every game against HIFK was exciting and Somehow, every time there seemed to be this kind of extra charge in those games. And usually, they were really physical and tense battles. So, you know, that's probably one reason why I love to play there. And also, I feel like I never played that badly in that arena because you were always looking forward to playing against them. So, that is probably the equation why I have so fond memories from there. Meanwhile, Hakametsa had this different feeling of 
Playing in an actual big arena as the place was well lit, the stanchions were right next to the ice surface and you always knew that you had a tough game ahead of you, regardless of the opposition, so those created a different sense when compared to most other places, even if they would have been actual league arenas. And of course, Hakametsu's ice was always top-notch, so that as well added an extra element to the mix as well. But those two certainly were places that stuck in my mind, and one other factor might have also been the fact that we got to play in those venues maybe one or twice per year, so it also stayed fresh whenever we entered those facilities during my days. The next question concerns my next guest, and like I mentioned at the start, I'm happy to tell you that very, very soon we are going to have our next guest, so you don't have to wait that long to hear another voice in here. And I gotta say that I'm pretty excited for the future because of exactly that. And while we're speaking about the podcast itself, I might as well answer the other three questions. How do I come up with new topics for each episode is the first one. Second one, if I could freely choose my next guest, who would it be and probably why? And lastly, what is my strength as a podcast host? The first answer to question how do I come up with new topics for new episodes is pretty simple because, you know, I follow the sport tenaciously and simultaneously other content creators and so-called hockey channels, so every once in a while I ponder upon a stat, headline or a milestone or something like that which gets me thinking and right at that point I'm already halfway into the rabbit hole and I start to wonder if this could be converted into an interesting topic for you as well, so... That is certainly one thing that has affected the outcome of this podcast from its beginning. The next thing is that I want people to learn something new from these episodes, whether you are here for the first time or are a continuous supporter, and therefore I want to include topics that might not star the main headlines or which might get passed over because you don't pay that close attention to other news outlets. But first and foremost, since I'm such a fan of the sport, I want to keep up with the events and simultaneously bring you along so that you don't necessarily have to do the heavy lifting to squeeze out all the necessary information regarding the most influential topics in the NHL. So overall, you could say that I pick out topics that might interest not just me, but others as well, because after all, the NHL is a wide spectrum where you have to pay attention to injuries, contracts, standings, stats, prospects, and so on. So it can be very overwhelming if you don't have the time to learn or dive into these topics each week. So, you know, I want to create a platform where you can get all necessary information on a constant basis if you are eager to hear what's going on in the NHL. So there's pretty much the simple explanation. The next question was, if I could choose freely my next guest, who would it be and why? And you know, I gotta say that I hadn't thought about this earlier, believe it or not, and I had to take a few minutes to come up with an answer. But I ended up picking every guy's man crush and possible next owner of the Ottawa Senators, Ryan Reynolds. And even though I'm not that big into Hollywood celebrities, but since he's a Canadian and also has ties to European football, it would be awesome to have him on and just pick his brain on anything and everything. And I know that this probably wasn't what most of you were expecting, but still, he would be my choice. And I think that I couldn't keep a serious face with him for more than two seconds, but at least it would be entertaining, that's for sure. But if I had to stick strictly in the hockey scene, I would probably go with Jarmo Kekalainen because he's a terrific hockey mind who I look up to, simply because of what he's done in his career and how he has paved the way for European GMs in the league, so... Maybe another not-so-obvious choice, but a one that would be a dream come true for sure. And the last question was, what is my strength as a podcast host? And I don't know if this was as sarcastically or not, but either way, I'm going to answer it. And my answer is going to be detailing. Because like I mentioned before, I want that you get all the necessary information from this show each week. And I feel like once you have the content on fleek, the rest should follow since, after all, it's a huge learning curve technically for the newcomers and nobody is a carpenter straight out of womb, so... And don't get me wrong, I want the quality of each episode to be top-notch as well, there's no doubt about that. But the cruel fact is that 
I've got a lot to learn about audio mixing and so forth, so I'm always working on it and expect it to change for better the more I learn through this entire journey. After all, I got great people supporting me, which I'm grateful for, and as I said just a few moments ago, why I feel like detailing is the biggest strength for me is just the fact that you have to stay in touch with so many details all the time that you need to pay close attention at all times, and not that many people are willing to put in the effort, so I hope that you appreciate it as well. And many people have asked me about the entire process and what takes the most time, and the straight answer to that question, at least from me, is the planning, so um, hopefully that answers your question and also gives you some insight into my thought process overall. The next question, though, is a bit easier one. What are my pizza toppings? And to this question, I don't have to open up my mindset that much, so let's just get it out of the way. My picks are olive, mushroom, blue cheese, and pineapple. Yes, I said it. It belongs in there, and I'm ready to fight for its rights. And if you believe me for one second... You gotta take a loser lap because there's no way I would include those ingredients in my pizza. And for the record, pineapple doesn't belong in pizza. Period. And my official answer is Johnny Ham and Cheese. So ham and cheese, more specifically mozzarella, pepperoni, and shrimp. Yes, the last one is a bit odd, but... That is usually the one which changes depending on the current feeling, so you could exchange that with bacon or prosciutto, but that's about it. And of course the pizza includes tomato sauce and basic pizza cheese, but those are pretty common in most saucers. So nothing special and not too many veggies highlight my pizzas, that's a fact. And of course, if I happen to visit a more fancier Italian pizza restaurant, I don't mind few greens here and there, but... If I'm ordering a pizza for a game night, it won't have too many lettuces, that's for sure. Then someone asked me who, in my opinion, is the most overrated player in the NHL, and since I had one guy in mind straight when I saw this question, I decided to use my creative freedom and select one player for each three positions, just so that I wouldn't make it too easy for myself, and ended up with a trio of John Gibson, Seth Jones, and... Patrick Line. I've said it before, I'm not a huge advocate of Gibson anymore since I've seen his decline from the top and he has quite effectively turned the label underrated, upside down where he, in my opinion, is still ridiculously overrated, who makes way too much money given his on-ice output within one of the laughing stocks of the NHL. Meanwhile, Line unfortunately happens to be the sole fin on this list and although some see his goal-scoring upside and feel like he will become one of the best scorers in the league once the Blue Jackets get their game together, but unfortunately I have to tell you that that might never happen since when you compare his stats to other top guys from that same draft class, you notice how he's been left behind and especially when you compare him to his closest rival and a real generational goal-scorer, Austin Matthews. I think that he will improve his numbers in the future, there's no doubt about that, if he gets to play alongside Goudreau and is able to stay healthy. But it more and more seems like he focuses more on his brand building than the goal scoring itself. And if you partner up that kind of a guy with a player that has really never fought for the Stanley Cup in his entire career, I don't know if that partnership is what you look for when assembling a team for future greatness. Because we all know that Johnny can put up 100 points per season with ease, but when it's really time to start firing up during the playoffs, we really haven't seen that. And at the same time, his linemate focuses on his wardrobe and individual stats, so I wouldn't expect these two to reach any NHL heights despite their high-end skill sets. But those three guys will highlight my top three, and I know that these guys' values have come down quite significantly compared to past, but still... I feel like they have too much hype around them, without any significant results. Then we move to a bit more complicated, or at least longer questions, and we will start with one of the earlier ones, which goes like this. Were you ultra-competitive as a kid, especially when it came to sports, and if so, did that ever lead to things boiling over? 
And I guess that this person who asked the question has some inside knowledge, but nevertheless, everyone who knows me well knows that I'm extremely calm and collected, almost to a point where my vitals need to be checked every once in a while to make sure that I'm still alive. But yes, I've always been extremely competitive when it comes to sports. And although that has evolved to a more mature level, I have to admit that at times, when the pulse has started to rise, the lead has flown off of its place and few of the guys can testify to that if need be. So I guess my answer is yes to both questions because a few pieces of evidence where that boiling over has occurred. But I also think that that was kind of a theme within our closest friend group. So, you know, I think that that only built us up. But without a doubt, there will be moments where I probably should have just taken a deep breath and just let the feeling go. But that is in the past now. And thank you for your question. The next question came from a possible Leafs fan who asked me if I think that Eric Carlson would be moved before the deadline. And I guess I pretty much gave my statement to this question at the beginning. But just to tell you the simple answer, I would say that hopefully not. But Because of the most recent headlines, I'm starting to lean on the thought where the Oilers snag him from California if the right return presents itself. Plus, they get their financials in order, so I guess I've started to lean on that side more than before and could see the Oilers making this desperation move because nothing else has worked so far. But really, wouldn't advise to do so. Then we got two questions about the Finnish Liga and if I think that we should open it like in Sweden. And to be completely honest, Liga's current state is the main reason why it isn't highlighted in this podcast. Because I'm really frustrated to see the same outcomes year after year without any major changes. The top teams in the league keep chugging along with the same pace at the top. While the familiar bottom feeders just sell out all of their belongings including wives, kids, mortgages, cars and their gear to the highest bidder at the end of the year so... It has become sad to me how this operation has been run to the ground and how its entertainment value has dropped so close to the absolute bottom. This year brought some light for the fans as the KHL was pretty much a non-option. So we got to see more big-time names in Liga than years prior, but as I could guess, the Stars chose the big-budget teams with significant championship odds, so the gap between the top and the bottom teams just grew even more. And to me, the only possible option at this point would be to open up Liga, similar to Sweden, where the top Mestis teams would battle for promotion against the worst teams in Liga. Because at this point, it is really obvious that the few worst Liga teams are pretty much on the same level as the top Mestis teams, at least game-wise. And if there would be a chance to get promoted to the Finnish first tier, I would imagine that the teams would invest even more on their player acquisitions to increase their chances of actually doing so. But currently, the same ring around the rosy is playing in front of our eyes year after year and pretty much all Finnish top leagues, Liga, Mestis and U20, have become straight-up development leagues. Not counting the few top teams on the first year, but you get the point if you follow Liga at all. And the worrying thing here is that even when knowing that fact, it doesn't seem to correlate to player development since we are seeing less and less real top-end players coming up from Finland. And when I say top-end, I really do mean the likes of Heiskanen, Barkov and Aho, who are real leaders in the NHL, so... Where is the league? Some teams are in deep financial trouble to begin with, and when you don't have to worry about losing, why would you do anything to change that? The players get their paychecks regardless, and the team is going to be there next year nevertheless, so... Where is the motivation going to come from? The game has become arguably slower and softer, so no wonder Finnish prospects struggle when jumping to North American ice. And if you think that people end up coming to the games to watch two goal games, you are sadly mistaken, because that in most cases isn't entertainment by any means. Like it's a real issue. Who really wants to watch 60 minutes of neutral zone hockey? And if you defend it by saying... We prevent trap and focus on mass-producing great two-way players. You know, I just couldn't be more against those statements. You think that in a smaller ice we wouldn't see more action and teams wouldn't focus on heavy forward check, while players would need to step up their game to match the required pace. 
and the current mode just overall kills creativity and forces player to a same structure where only specific attributes like skating and hockey IQ are the separating factors because otherwise the differences are so minimal and inseparable that you get exactly what you have ordered. Minimal upside players that lack separating slash elite individual skills like puck handling and shooting which are must-haves on every NHL team's top sixes. Organizations at the end of the day want guys to jump to North America because they get significantly bigger returns when they develop these guys and send them across the ocean than what they would inland. So now that Jokerit seems to be coming back to Finnish hockey circle, the big heads should start to wonder about Liga's future and what needs to happen in order to change this vicious yearly cycle. And I don't even want to mention the current state of some of these flounders who are losing games by five goals minimum with U20 squads because it's straight up embarrassing for the entire league. But one of my friends brought up a good example where a league would get opened up with 12 teams staying in the first tier while Mestis would have the same amount of teams meaning that few would drop from Liga and likewise few teams from Mestis would bite the dust and fall down to finish third tier so that the budgets could be shared somewhat evenly. Individual team sponsor budgets aside. Relegation matchups at the end of each year, similar to SHL and Allsvenskan. And when it comes to game style changes, you gotta get down the ice surface plain and simple and start to focus on action because currently at times you can fall asleep during the games because it is just so position heavy. It's also a collision sport, so please, for the love of God, let guys do more than just softly wedge players against the boards and skate beside them, because we've seen more ridiculous suspensions this year than ever before. And if you end up narrowing down the ice surface and will keep this current line, you better hire some people to the player safety department, because I can promise you that you are going to see more cases than ever before. And although I could make a significantly longer rant about this topic, I want to spare my words and make clear to anyone who's listening that I have nothing against the players in this league. And more so, I have huge respect for them because they are playing on a level I was never good enough to play in. But rather, I'm aiming this to the big heads who are driving down the Finland's top sporting league and not reacting to clear signs and just basically forcing teams to play games that matter to only few selected teams at the top. So if we want to avoid the foxholes that are closing down on us fast, changes are needed so hopefully we start to see some action on this front. Or otherwise, I could very well see hockey fans and young kids changing to other sports because the deposits and receivables just aren't in line currently in junior hockey or on the top level. But that is pretty much my take on this matter, so let me know your opinion on this. Just like I said, I've started to worry about Liga's current state and hope that changes are inbound if they want to save their faces ahead of the inevitable crisis. And then we move to our last question of this episode, which comes from a nickname bar down. If NHL had a fantasy draft, which players would go in my top five? And once again, I gotta say that This is a very intriguing question because I haven't thought about this previously, even though it is pretty much an equivalent to which is my top five list of current NHL players, but nevertheless. And if you don't know what fantasy draft means, it is basically a system where every player gets taken out of their current organization and teams get to draft new rosters via randomized snake draft, aka first team picking is going to be the last one on the second round and the last team in the first round will begin the second round. So basically has two picks after one another. And pretty much everything else follows the same path, so I hope that that made at least some sense. But I digress. But if I had to choose the top five, to me the obvious number one choice is everyday Connor McDangle, because, well, you know exactly why I don't need to justify my pick any more than that. And pretty much the second pick for me would be Toronto's Austin Matthews, because... He has really stepped up his defensive game, and although his this year's numbers are not like years before, he's still an elite goal scorer with plus 100-point upside, so I wouldn't argue against picking a franchise center with my second pick. 
The third pick in my papers would be Kael McCarr, just like I mentioned before. He's just on another level compared to the rest of the league's blue liners. And with the fourth pick, I would go with his teammate Nathan McKinnon, because now the guy has a cup in his resume and undoubtedly has been one of the league's top offensive juggernauts for a couple of years now, so I would really concentrate on selecting franchise-leading centers from the get-go. And because of that, with the fifth and the last pick of my fantasy draft, I would have to go with the Finnish maestro, Alexander Barkov, because, like I said a couple episodes ago, he to me belongs to the same category despite lower point totals. But when you actually watch him play, you can do anything but notice his ability to dominate games on both ends of the ice, and therefore, he would be an invaluable asset for any NHL franchise with cup aspirations. But that is going to be my top five, and I think that this would be an interesting topic for the future as well, so we'll see if I end up making a complete fantasy draft episode in the future. But now, we pretty much arrived to the final stop of this week's episode and are done with the questions you sent me. Big, big thanks to all you who chimed in and asked your questions. This episode wouldn't have been possible without your input, and I can't even thank you enough for the support you have been giving me lately, so... Just take this episode as a thank you for your care. This was an extremely fun episode to make and most likely we are going to see something similar in the distant future. But before that, if you happen to have anything on your mind, questions, topic suggestions, or you just want to shoot the you-know-what, don't hesitate to DM me because I would be more than happy to answer your questions and include topic suggestions that you would like to see in the future. So... The door is open for each and every one of you. The next episode, though, is going to be reserved for our next guest, so stay tuned for that. But other than that, I don't have much else to say then. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.